Brad Pitt. So he was in uh, California with a K. He was in Fight Club. Chuck Palahniuk is horrible. He's like the best representative of Portland, Oregon I've ever seen. He should be like the goodwill ambassador. So this, uh, this woman named Nancy Rommelman, she's written for Reason Magazine, uh, used to live in Portland. I, I think she was born in New York. She's back in New York. Um, kind of like a lefty, but sort of like a grungy. She's kind of like a, kind of like a punk Caitlin Flanagan that even though she's like uh, reflexively lefty, she's like, yeah, we kind of have to like buy bullets for the police because bad things happen otherwise. Anyway, Portland. So she's been writing, she's got a sub stack that you can subscribe to and get other stuff. But she's also, uh, the other thing that she's doing is uh, getting well, so anyway, she's she's writing about Portland again because the murder rate is through the roof, like kind of suddenly, but not really. Something that they feel like they got going. Anyway, I you know, look, if it was, I don't know, maybe it's happening in Seattle too. I don't know what the average is. I just, I just know what they put in front of me. <laughs> anyway, Brad Pitt. Um, he was so great in Moneyball and Moneyball is such a great movie. Do you know anything? What, what else did Bennett Miller do? He was the director of Moneyball. I really don't know. Okay. That's what. Howdy. Thanks for listening to the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. With me always is the aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Great to be with you today. It's great to be with you, old chum. <laughs> Man, the temperature is dropping like a stone around here. I, I don't want to hear about it. Like yet yesterday, it was in the 50s. Today, it's six degrees. Okay, okay. So I woke up this morning and the temperature was like 65 and it dropped 20 degrees in a couple of hours. Currently it's 43, but it seems much colder than that because the wind is howling. Anyway, don't, don't describe the weather, right? Elmore Leonard. Don't start with the weather. Don't start with, don't, don't start with the weather. Don't describe the weather. Just don't, just don't make a thing about the weather. Listen, weather, don't start with me. <laughs> That's how you remember it. Yeah. Chekhov, check, check off your guns at the door. Not nab, you don't Nabokov a gun, you check off no. a gun. That's right. So Brad Pitt was so great in Moneyball, but he's like a he's like a grown man. He's seasoned. I mean, he still like looks unbelievably great, but he's he you know he's he's like a grown up. And then I I, I go back and I like look at him and even like the Oceans movies, right? He's kind of boyish. I mean, he kept boyish like right up to like forty six, forty seven. Much like myself, I'll be forty six in a couple of weeks. Yeah. If you weren't, if you weren't 
graying like before my eyes it's like it's like seeing a time-lapse head in front of me you're grayer <laughs> now than you were 10 minutes ago anyway I, w I wish i had that much hair to gray um Be okay, bennett, so Mi bennett miller also did fox catcher which i didn't see but no. got, got, no, that got was, good reviews. That was uh, Steve Carell with a prosthetic nose. Steve right? Carell, Steve Carell in the hours. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> um, re remind me to tell you what made me laugh about that. When we're not recording and going live okay and he also did uh capote with philip seymour hoffman okay neither which it, neither movie i've seen people say um what's his name um psh yes that he nailed it He's, he was a pretty good uh oh, oh we... he was he was a pretty good actor yeah, no, he sure was. He, um, yes, he was very skillful. Um, I didn't see like everything that he did either. Though, <laughs> though I did find myself talking about um, Hunger Games uh, at work yesterday and no one would cop to knowing about it. I'm like, cause I always forget this. I'm like, what district? was Katniss from and I'm like talking to like all these millennials and they're like I don't know I wasn't into Hunger Games like oh don't you lie to me so like there I am a, a rapidly aging man you know and <laughs> and I'm like doesn't anyone know about the Hunger Games they so do stupid. so stupid uh, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman also played Art Howe in Moneyball. So there you go. There's oh, we bring there we br we bring it right back. Yeah, we do. Well done. Way to keep your wits. Nice. All right. So uh, I was away, and I want to talk about the place I was. Next, maybe next episode. You know, if you know if the, if the world's still here, we'll talk on Monday. <laughs> do you need time to process? <laughs> I want to do some research and I don't want to like spoil, I don't want to spoil the, uh, the surprise for our listeners until, I mean, do you want to, oh, speaking of surprising the listeners, this is going to be a, this is going to be a buzzkill. Okay, so here's what happened. We're talking about scheduling the next Managing Expectations podcast book club and there was a lot of pushback and i mean a lot from the millennial women about travis mcgee's second adventure nightmare in pink by uh john d mcdonald brian what you doing buddy just uh just straightening some things out I didn't know if you're doing a whole bit. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's funny uh, that uh, you're wearing uh, blue and cool uh, earth tones, at just like the painting behind you and the wall. So 
when we have the mystery solving grannies on in, in about a month, you'll be able to blend right into the background and no one will be able to see you or hold you accountable or make you share an opinion. Well, I think if I can get to what you were getting to, since we won't be reviewing a book that uh, some. Tears have- up mostly. Uh, Emily would have plowed through it if I asked her to. Tears up. I mean, so, so Travis McGee has the slapper at not Tirza, but the chick in the, in the, in the book. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, you know, it it wasn't like a scene of like domestic abuse. It wasn't, you know, this boy's life for heaven's sake. It was, he just, you know, it was one of those things like, you know, that they used to do, you know, it's like get a hold of yourself woman thing. Travis McGee's Travis McGee's old tweets were dug up. <laughs> he will never work again. Okay, here's the other thing. Okay, so we're not we're not we're not doing Nightmare in Pink for the, so those of you who bought Nightmare in Pink. And by the way, there's one Miss uh, Movie Guy Lauren. Movie Guy Lauren, there is some merch. There are some there's some merch coming to you, Lauren. Uh, because I'm sorry you bought Nightmare in Pink. The thing is, I was like ahead of Tirza. Well, Tirza just stopped. She was ready to walk away from the podcast, walk away from the mystery solving grannies just at the moment my my awesome sister is about to join. We don't want that. What? No, we don't want that. No, Tirza's. So here's the thing. Nightmare in Pink is out. True Grit by Charles Portis is in. True Grid by Charles Portis. Out. Maddie Ross and Rooster Cogburn. Okay. It's supposed to be really good. I've heard it was really good. Um, I was hoping to read The True Grit by Joel and Ethan Cohen, but I guess I'll I go think, with the other one. I, apparently, it's pretty close. Yeah, I've heard that too, that that their movie adaptation is very... Stick, sticks very closely to the book. Like they, they have a kind of a history of doing that. Right. But here's the, here's the thing that while that's true, they, the original true grit with John Wayne, John Wayne's uh, Oscar winning performance as uh, Rooster Cogburn uh, was not unfaithful to the book, except it looked like John Wayne was a movie star and, you know, the Coens had a degree of realism that, you know, you just didn't really find in most movies. I mean, look, that the Coen brothers true grit was probably a lot closer to the old West than, um, uh, I don't know any of the movies at the time of the original True Grit, I'm thinking of like the Wild Bunch, which kind mm-hmm. of, uh, which was like so shockingly violent at the time. I think it kind of like kicked in the R rating, but maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, it actually doesn't seem that violent compared to like, <laughs> I don't you know, Law and Order or anything edited for television <laughs> on cable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. I, I, mean, I, did, I, I did catch a few minutes of, the most recent version of True Grit the other day. And it's great. I, I really like the movie. 2010's True Grit with mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> Jeff Bridges. 
<laughs> Jeff Bridges doing his best. Uh, I'm talking to you with my, my mouthful. Sling blade impression. Kinda. Yeah. Um, but uh, Matt Damon as Labeef is great. Pretty good. Maddie Ross uh, played by Haley Steinfield spelled. Haley. <laughs> what what did I say? I highly highly Steinfeld. Hylia Seinfeld. <laughs> she's highly Steinfeld to me. <laughs> of all the Steinfelds, she's highly. Um, and uh, she's she's great in, she's great in it. And uh, she when she first meets Matt Damon, and I hope it's in the book, but it's one of my famous lines. He introduces himself as coming from Yale County, and she sees what he's wearing, and she says. I was not aware that there were rodeo clowns in Yale County. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead in my reading. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, just a little teaser. So here's here's in, here's another breaking story. Uh, um, I was in Florida. We'll talk about Florida in an upcoming show, but right now, I, and this is why it pertains. Uh, it pertains because you take Travis McGee out of Florida or some exotic locale and in Nightmare in Pink, okay, if you take him out of Florida or some exotic locale, it's just, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of stupid. It's like, uh, okay, it was kind of like James Bond in New Orleans uh, or, or what have you. It wasn't. It, it's like out of his element. It's like Spider-Man in the suburbs. It's, 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 uh, it's a little weird and it's not as effective because you like sign up for a particular thing. The Rolls Royce cat, uh, pickup truck and the houseboat and the bouncy flouncy tanned and lithesome things. And, uh, the Bama tigers longest floating houseboat party and just, nonsense like that um so i don't want to talk about florida right now don't make don't don't make me talk about florida don't make me talk about florida by the way i was gone and you know what you had one job brian and while i was gone we had one day when we didn't download a single episode of the managing expectations podcast why why not you tell me you were watching the controls. <laughs> However, we picked up, get this, Norway and Denmark and Australia. Well, I think we all know how I feel about Norway. Uh, yes, yes, we do. Oh, I remember the other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we started recording. So get your hand, get your, get your hand out of my face. <laughs> oh, stop. Maybe you just start. You know, you're, you're adjusting your top, your, uh, your painting behind you, like, like Sam's adjusting his tie. And now people think that it, I, that's a euphemism that you, we know, <laughs> Hey, Sammy's adjusting his tie. You know what I mean? Just giving it a little tie adjustment. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> I'm new in town. Uh, you know where Sammy can adjust his tie? 
so stupid. All right. Also, not so not only did you try to let our media adventure uh, go to seed, but in my absence, you let PJ O'Rourke die of lung cancer at the age of 74. Now, I'm a fan of PJ O'Rourke. I always have been. Uh, I have uh, mimicked him to much less uh, uh, much less effect and money. Uh, when I was writing for the newspaper, I would often just like go to places and then make fun of stuff. And uh, it just didn't it just didn't pay me as well as I'm sure um, Mr. O'Rourke uh, did. So uh, he, I've read him on this, on, on the podcast. We, I, I've read from uh, his terrific book, Parliament of Whores, and uh, thought a couple of things would be worth uh, remembering today. I mean, he was just, I, I never got a chance to inter interview him. I did review several of his books. I reviewed All the Trouble in the World. I reviewed Eat the Rich. Um, bef before that, there was, uh, um, so so there's Parliament of Whores. Then he he did one, <laughs> Give War a Chance, because he was kind of, he was a foreign foreign affairs correspondent, mostly for for Rolling Stone. Though his work appeared in Forbes and Vanity Fair. Uh, he's got a ton of books and. Uh, a lot of them got pulped. I mean, he was so successful. But, um, you know, I think he was like a life, lifelong smoker. Uh, maybe he went to cigars later in life, but I just can't see his generation of, of reporters, journalists, not smoking kind of a lot, particularly when they smoked as younger men, you know? So maybe he went to cigars, but... 74 was, not, yeah 74 is uh not too bad for a lifelong smoker if in fact he was and i, and I can't say that he was but i i know he smoked as a young guy and i know that he was a cigar smoker because he talked about it um by the way you know what's going to happen so with the baby boom it was like the largest generation of people in the world they you know, they lived through childhood. So it's just a ton of them. They're all over the place. And let me tell you, Haas, they are all over Florida. I don't know if you know this. There are a ton of old people in Florida. You know that. Yeah. Okay. So what's going to happen is the baby boomers are going to start dying off. And like, the, it will be like another 15 years of weeping and wailing and rending of garments and gnashing of teeth and so forth. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, Tom Petty went kind of early. Uh, Prince was probably a baby boomer, but not by much. He was, he was, he was a young, I mean, too young to die, I would say. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was just going to comment on the old people in Florida. I know we're not talking about Florida. No, we're not. And you can't make me. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld would say that old people drive slow and they sit low that the state flag of Florida should just be a, a hat and a pair of knuckles on a steering wheel. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I was okay. See, see, you're just, it's another one of your tricks to get me to talk about Florida. I will not, I will not fall for it. 
So one of the things about um, about um, I think I think in the writing of P.G. O'Rourke, for one thing, <laughs> I I found a kindred spirit because you know how you love nature. Oh, I do. Are we talking about nature? <laughs> Easy, big fella. We're talking about the great P.G. O'Rourke. And um, in his book, All the Trouble in the World, uh, in the chapter on the environment, which is called The Great Outdoors and How It Got There, <laughs> he says, uh, uh, there's, he's, he's in the Amazon and he's uh, talking to a guy and he says, uh, Julio, does the Amazon have any legendary monsters? Uh, Yeti, Bigfoot, Nessie, the Jersey Devil, anything like that? No, said Julio. So maybe the Amazon natives recognize the essential benevolence of nature, even in the, this most violently competitive and sanguinary biological niche. Or maybe when you've got six foot electric eels and tiny catfish that swim up your pecker, you don't need legendary monsters. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think you might be onto something. Yeah, uh, he, here he <laughs> says, uh, um, uh, on the lake, we motored between lily pads two yards across. According to my guidebook, these can support the weight of a small child, although there are certainly laws about trying that. <laughs> then we crossed a dozen acres of whitewater hyacinths, our outboard prop getting thoroughly tangled in beauty and fragrance. Several trees along the shore were filled with hanging nests of Oropendolas, a tropical oriole that makes its own bird houses from woven vines and twigs. And there are no bet they are no better at it than kids taking a crafts program at summer camp. Oropendola nests look like I'm not gonna say that. Another tree <laughs> was, was full of saddleback tamarind monkeys bouncing around like flying poppies. It seems the more evolved an animal is, the more time it spends playing, which does not explain why I'm at the typewriter, unless it does. Or maybe we don't know what worm fun and snail recreation look like. They may be having a riot. And in one more tree, we saw a pair of speckled owls perched on a branch, asleep with their heads leaned together, cuter than sh thrift shop salt and pepper shakers. They... Then came the best sight of all, a blue morpho butterfly, a big hand span of a butterfly in an indescribable tint, a dayglow pink of a blue, an international signal orange of a blue. Eco-tourists in the Miami airport wouldn't wear this blue. A color not found in nature was finding itself in nature right in front of us, floating in that scatterbrained way butterflies do just below our bow. So see, he could write, I mean, he, he was funny and insightful, but he was also like a lovely writer at times. Let me yeah. find the part, this is, um, 
um, when he, in the, in the same book, uh, um, All the Trouble in the World, he goes to Yugoslavia. Well, first he goes to his old alma mater, uh, the University of Miami, no, no, Miami College or University in Ohio. Not Miami the of Ohio. U, not the Miami. U. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he contrasts that with the multiculturalism. So, so the multiculturalism of a college campus in the 90s with uh, uh, the multiculturalism on display in the former Yugoslavia, which at the time had degraded into war. He writes, um, I watched as Serbian Chetnik nationals tried to take the village of Golubic from Bosnia, Bosnia and Herzegovina Muslims. The unspellables were shooting the unpronounceables, which I thought was funny. Uh, but then he goes on, he says, uh, I had a perfect view of the fighting, except that there was nothing to see. High-powered weapons and high-speed fire scatter modern soldiers and camouflage and smokeless explosives render those soldiers invisible. If artists still painted pictures of battle, a battle would look like an ordinary landscape with a lot of small pockmarks and some large charred holes. Nor is there battle din anymore. No trumpet calls or rallying cries or even shouts and screams could be heard in Golubic. Just desultory gunfire. The putter of a machine gun would echo between the house walls, then a pause. Then some answering thumps and pops. The Serbian artillery was a couple miles away. I could hear it go off. Later I'd hear an explosion, but usually I couldn't see where. Sometimes a shell would whistle overhead. Now and then a puff of dust would rise in the valley, but with the sound of impact so delayed that cause and effect seemed to have been disconnected. A few rifle shots were coming in my direction, I guess. Applying bullets don't, in reality, make noise. Though once in a great while, I'd hear the adventure movie sound of a ricochet on the rocks nearby. Good. Uh, one other thing from Yugoslavia. I was in a slit trench on a hill behind Bosnian lines. Golubic is, or by now perhaps was, a trim group of tiled roof stucco houses set in, a little, in little gardens along the Una River. A rail line ran beside the riverbank with engine and freight cars blown up on the tracks. The Una was the shade of blue that children color rivers and its waters were speckled with rapids like dabs of white enamel. The afternoon was without wind or cloud, no leaf turned or branch swayed along Golubic's tidy lanes. The place seemed to be a miniature of itself and the war, a war on a model train layout and probably as, min as meaningful. I, I just think that's written so well. It's written mm -hmm. so well about being an impossible color, the color children, color rivers, yeah. and then speckled with white enamel. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, yeah. it's so, so great. And then he like makes fun of it. When that original, I remember when that originally appeared in uh, Rolling Stone, I, that's where I first read it. Uh, the title in Rolling Stone was Gang Bang Bang. Hmm. Because of the, just the horrible, uh, uh, you know, inter 
national interracial fighting. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. He, he said that uh, uh, seriousness is stupidity sent to college. And that has always just cracked me up. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> seriousness is stupidity sent to college. Yep. It's pretty funny. No kidding. Yeah. I'm trying, uh, there, there's another, there's another part of the environment. Oh, okay. Here you go. This is, this is the final word I want to say to you about nature because Brian, do you remember what I always say about nature? Uh, you don't say it very often, so I can't really remember. Okay. I'm having trouble recalling. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you're on your own land. This is PJ O'Rourke. Okay. Writing. Let's say you're on your own land and properly secluded and the kids are at camp and the cleaning lady has gone home. And today isn't the day when the boy comes to mow the lawn and your husband's too watching, too busy watching ESPN to notice. Go outdoors and cavort. Scamper through the foundation plantings. Roll in the gladiolas. Vault the lawn furniture. Romp neath clothesline and bird feeder. You'll learn about yourself. And what you'll learn is you itch. <laughs> great. It's great, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, I mean, look, I don't want to, you know, see, it's just trying to make me talk about Florida. I didn't bring it up. I didn't say it. Okay. Uh, let's see. There's a, there's a couple of other things. If I haven't sold you on... Uh, P.G. O'Rourke. I think I did. Didn't I read? Didn't in an earlier show? Didn't I read the part about uh, the Americans and the Italians in Somalia? Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell? I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, I went with an ABC camera crew on the first convoy, uh, on the first convoy, 120 miles north of. Mogadishu up the Shebel River for the sake of making America's allies look less worthless. The Italian army was given the escort job. A company of Italians in Fiat Jeeps and troop carriers led a dozen aid agency food trucks. Two U.S. Army platoons and Humvees brought up the rear. The convoy was not a work of logistical genius. It left town a day late because my military, my American military sources swear this is true. The Italians lingered too long over lunch. Then the Italians, who in their own country are homicidically, homicidally. <laughs> Please don't blame P.G. O'Rourke for homicidical. But like Shakespeare, I'm inventing words, homicidiacal. I'm writing that down. You gonna use that? No, <laughs> nor should you. <laughs> no, that's great. That's good. That's good stuff right there. Homicidally fast drivers insisted on a 20 mile per hour convoy speed. They also took three meal breaks. Then what? <laughs> no, this is one of the funniest things I've ever read. Then. One of the Italian drivers fell asleep at the wheel and ran into. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. This guy was so funny. 
One of the Italian drivers fell asleep at the wheel and ran into practically the only tree in the Somali desert. After the sun went down, the convoy got off course somehow. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I believe the lead driver saw what he thought were the lights of the airstrip and headed toward them. But those were actually the lights of the, <laughs> the lights of the last vehicle in the convoy. Anyway, we wound up with an enormous, <laughs> an enormous merry-go-round of trucks, jeeps, and Humvees circling in the desert. It, now, now, you know, I don't think God canceled P.G. O'Rourke because he was mean to the Italians. No, probably not. No. Uh, the trip took 14 hours. Then with thousands of square miles of parched sand in every direction, <laughs> the Italians found a mud flat for us to camp in. <laughs> ah, this guy's so funny. Okay. Uh, so then like in, uh, in his 2004 book, um, Peace Kills, he talked about Americans and foreign policy and essentially makes the point which I think your dad would have gotten behind, which is Americans hate foreign policy because they hate foreigners and they came here to get away from foreigners. And he, right? Yeah. And um, uh, he says, and everybody, and the thing is, everybody's a foreigner. And even if you came across the land bridge uh, thousands of years ago, yeah. you're not from here. I mean, you right. may have been here first, but you, you're not from here. So yeah. Uh, in his, uh, in his, uh, in his book, uh, give war a chance. From his, his, his writing reminds me of um, another author. That's a favorite of the managing expectations podcast is, is Tom Wolf, who is able to observe things, things that are very serious and find uh, the ridiculous in them. And it's good. Here's one. Uh, this is the preface to his 1992 book, Give War a Chance, which was, um, which I'm going to clean up a little bit, but there's just one word. It's just one word. Um, uh, he covered the, uh, the first Gulf War in 91. Um, okay. Uh, he wrote, uh, this is the preface to give war a chance. Like many men of my generation, I had an opportunity to give war a chance and I promptly chickened out. I went to my draft physical in 1970 with the doctor's letter about my history of drug abuse. The letter was four and a half pages long with three and a half pages devoted to listing the drugs I'd abused. I was shunted in the office of an army psychiatrist who at the end of a 45 minute interview with me was pounding his desk and shouting, you're messed up. You don't believe, you don't belong in the army. He was certainly right on the first count and possibly right on the second. Anyway, I didn't have to go, but that of course meant somebody, someone else had to go in my place. I would like to dedicate this book to him. I hope you got back in one piece, fellow. I hope you were more used to your platoon mates than I would have been. I hope you're rich and happy now. And in 1971, when somebody punched me in the face for being a long-haired peace creep, I hope that was you. 
Good. Great, right? Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, Tom Tom Wolf uh, could do. He was a journalist first, and then he he took up writing novels late in life. Mm-hmm. I think just to show everybody he could. Yeah. And then uh, I remember when Bonfire of the Vanities uh, was first serialized in Rolling Stone. It must have been eighty four, maybe the summer of nineteen eighty four. I was, I was a longtime subscriber to Rolling Stone, as you may recall, Brian. I do recall. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, uh, Tom Tom Wolf took up writing novels. P.J. O'Rourke actually went through a period in the aughts when he was like more serious, more thoughtful. Uh, he wrote a a book uh, to try to distill Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations down for knuckleheads and uh it wasn't funny and it he didn't distill it down enough for this knucklehead Mm. later on he would um uh he 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 did some really funny uh books again uh he as i said um uh peace kills was pretty funny uh don't vote. It just encourages the bastards from 2010 was, was really funny. I mean, that was, that was the funniest one. And then he, he wrote one called the baby boom. And this, see, the thing is a lot of times you don't get a writer doesn't get to, um, uh, doesn't get to title his own stuff, but, but O'Rourke's work was like so funny that, I mean, if it wasn't him, it was certainly somebody who was sensitive to his style. So mm-hmm. the subtitle, as I recall it, I don't have it right in front of me, uh, to the baby boom was, <laughs> it's not my fault and I promise to never do it again. <laughs> oh, was that? Oh, I don't, there, oh, it was in, uh, it was in Eat the Rich. Uh, he travels to Russia, but I don't have. I I forgot to look that one up. And also, you really got, as I recall, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta clean that up. And frankly, it doesn't hold up as well. The last line was so great. He's de- he's describing Vladivostok. Okay, so he's he's taken the, I don't know, the Trans Siberian Railway, or I don't know what you take not the Orient Express, but, you know, across Siberia. And he gets the Vladivostok, which is on the Pacific coast. So the far Eastern seaboard of Russia. And he's describing it. He's describing, you know, in spite of the Stalinist architecture, the brutal concrete architecture, he's describing, you know, the hilly city overlooking the Pacific, he says, this might be like if what San Francisco would look like if it was, if it had been taken by the communists. Fortunately, they were stopped in Berkeley. That was the last line of the, of the essay. Great, right? Except, good. except now you can't really make the, you can't see no. it doesn't hold up. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, PJ O'Rourke, uh, you know, uh, dead at yeah. 74. 
Yeah, pick up pick up one of his uh, books that Jeff just referenced. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, or give me a call and I'll loan you mine. But I want it back. <laughs> As he traveled uh, through Russia, did he say anything about the tanks? <laughs> what are they saying about the tanks? Not, no, this is an opportunity for you to talk about uh, the tank war. Um, in, uh, it's funny you should mention that because my I, I ordered a book about the Battle of Kursk. It should be here like tomorrow, th- Thursday at the latest. I'm really psyched. Surprised you didn't have one already. Well, you know, Brian, uh, though we're not expecting NATO to be directly involved at this juncture, uh, uh, Soviet, why would I say that? (laughs) Russian tanks are actually lighter than uh, tanks of the Western powers. And so they uh, will probably not get stuck in the mud as much, which is going to be a thing, which might be a thing if, you know, How's that, how's that thing how that thing work out between uh russia and ukraine is that is that still going on i don't know been talking to you so i haven't been able to check the news that's <laughs> yeah, not funny but it's not funny brian <laughs> whatever whatever happened between you and that thing with your wife well i bought her a moo and No, sorry. I was ta- I was I was I was referencing uh, the often referenced movie uh, *Fugitive* when uh, Dr. Richard Kimball goes to see of his friend. Of course you were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Sorry. That's right. Who asked him that? Bones. The, the janitor. Like the, the, no, he was like the lab tech. Okay. Okay. Um, bad capitalism. Four, six. Hang on, Brian. Say something, okay? And then let me see about uh, if I can find the part when he was in Russia. Well, maybe just a quick word from our sponsors while Jeff is doing some research. Uh, well, I'm getting, I, I'm getting waved off. What do, you, what do you want? You want a fastball? Do you want a curveball? Tell me what you want. You certainly don't want uh, to hear from our sponsors. Shaking me off. <laughs> He's shaking me off. Uh, no, it's not. It's not uh, Russia. It was. It was him in. Um, I think it was Eat the Rich. Um, uh, the chapter here is uh, Albania, which, which immediately after it gained uh, independence from a communist um, system, got involved in the greatest Ponzi scheme the world has ever known. Everybody bought into a thing, and like whatever the the piaster or whatever the Albanian currency is just crumbled and everybody was broke. You know what though? He does do a, as I recall, he does a funny thing about uh, the ugly and ineffectual gun turrets that dot the landscape in Albania. Mm. Okay. Uh, no, well, okay. So Mrs. Winger.com is, uh, hasn't uploaded, you know, new products and so, you know, she's got to get on that. And, you know, look, looking fantastic in your muumuu, it's not going to, this is not going to cover at all. I mean, that is, you know, the situation is what I mean. 
because let me tell you that that move move covers it all. She was on vacation. Got her a break. Okay. Well, money, uh, yeah. money, money never sleeps, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you are you quoting another movie from the late '80s or early '90s that I don't? And I'm going to miss the reference. Was that was that from Wall Street? If it wasn't from Wall Street, it was the title of the sequel, Wall Street Two: Money Never Sleeps, with Shia LaBeouf and uh, and uh, Carrie Mulligan and Michael Douglas. Did they not want Charlie Sheen? I wouldn't. <laughs> that, you want Shia LaBeouf? He, he was come. He was Charlie Sheen was coming way off the rails during that period of time. And not Shia LaBeouf. Have you seen what this guy's about? He's crazy. Oh, oh that was oh, just. You'd a rather phase. your daughter dated Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal, than than Shia LaBeouf. Okay, so uh, uh, money money never sleeps. Yeah. Wasn't very good. Wasn't a very good movie. I'm sure. Do you want to do a minute on your one of your favorite movies, The Freshman? I do. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me why you find. I, I, so so Mrs. Winger and I watched The Freshman. Uh, what from ninety one? Nineteen ninety ones. Of The Freshman with Matthew Broderick, who is a very winning young man, who's in fact two years older than me, and was playing a college freshman when he was like leaning on hard on 30, he was like 28, 29 when he made that movie. So uh, also Penelope Ann Miller was great in that. She was. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, just, she, she hadn't gotten work in a long time. And then of course the late career, Marlon Brando. Yep. And Marlon got pretty heavy. Still, there's something about that guy. Yeah. So watchable. So, yeah. you know. So, Brian, it's, it's one of your favorite movies. So, go ahead. Bruno Kirby? How can you forget Bruno Kirby? Well. <laughs> he um, played the young Clemenza in Godfather Part Two. Yeah. 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 So, it's, um, here's the thing, is that when I was like, 14, 15 years old, you said, you've got to watch the freshman, the freshman. Did you, I? You did. You said, you've got to watch it. It's, it's hilarious. And so since then, because, uh, well, you're so influential, <laughs> I watched it and I think it's great. Sarah thinks it's great. The kids love it. And, uh, do the yeah, kids love it? it? They do. Yeah. Oh, that's great. The, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a silly, it's a comedy without being silly. Yeah. It gets a little caperish, but yeah, it's, it, it gets a little caperish, but it's got some, it's got some really, it's got some really funny parts, um, really good characters. And, uh, um, you know, you're kind of kept in the dark throughout most of the movie about what's really happening. What's really going on. Yeah. Yeah. But you see how this young man gets caught up, and uh, the the college film professor, who has just a handful of lines, is hilarious. The the pompous, uh, <laughs> vacuous uh, 
NYU film professor who who wants everybody in the class to buy all 28 of his books. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that was a character actor. He was in a ton of stuff. I, I didn't know he was working that late. So, um, so, um, so, so it all hinges on, okay, okay. So you know what else was kind of, you, okay. So you say it wasn't silly, <laughs> but you didn't think it was a little silly when the Komodo dragon gets loose in the mall? That was silly. But it but was kind of funny. It was funny. One thing, those things can really scamper. They can. And uh, um, except that wasn't a real Komodo dragon in the movie. They, they used some kind of a monitor. Um, a what? A monitor is a type of lizard. <laughs> Do you know all about lizards, Brian? Well, you know, in my studies with nature. Are Komodo dragons really endangered? Uh, yeah, they are. So I have a friend, Luan, who, from uh, the Vietnamese community. He's on the West Coast. He said, he said that his family was in an, an Indonesian uh, refugee camp and they ate all the Komodo dragons and that's why that they were endangered. Yeah. Okay. So um, much like all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Okay. Um, all Komodo dragons are monitors, but not all monitors are Komodo dragons. If that lizard is a monitor, what am I watching you on? <laughs> what is that? Is that a homonym? Two, two words mean the uh, same word, different meanings? I thought it was a homophone. No, wait, that's something that sounds the same. Yeah. But means something different. I, I don't know. Anyhow. I, <laughs> the, second what, thing that I'll, I'll get you. Third thing I got for you after, after we sign off. Okay. Uh, but yeah, when they, uh, yeah, when it's loose in the mall, it's funny. When they bring the Komodo dragon to the keeper, and the BD Wong is like, mm, has someone been swimming? <laughs> See, it was so okay. funny. It's so funny. I say Here's it what time. I found interesting. So the original screenplay to Blazing Saddles was written by the writer-director, Andrew Bergman, of uh, the, the writer-director of The Freshman, Andrew Bergman, wrote the first version of Blazing Saddles. I think they brought in Richard Pryor to touch it punch up. It, punch it up? Punch it up. Yeah, that's it. Put a little little touch up and a little paint on that. And probably... He, he maybe added some things that the other gentleman was uncomfortable with. <laughs> uncomfortable writing down. <laughs> Putting his name to. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Hey, have you ever heard of rabbit glasses, rabbit insulated cups? No. Okay. Well, some people think that they're as good as Yeti, Brian. I don't know. Some people, some people are talking. Lots of people are talking about it. That's what some people say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, Bergman also wrote some novels um, 
by a guy, na a, a detective named uh, Levine. Like he has a, uh, they're, they're like set in the forties and they're kind of film noirish. I didn't Ooh. send them to you along with merch. You know, you want to talk about sponsors. You talk about the managing expectations podcast. That's what's, yeah. that's what's what. If you happen to be out in public and you see something that looks vaguely familiar, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. Cause we got t-shirts and we got stickers. What? Talk about burying the lead. Yeah. yeah. Gonna bury PJ O'Rourke and then we're gonna bury the lead. Too soon. Too soon. Sorry. Anyhow, watch the freshman. It's it's out there video on demand somewhere, I'm sure. Where did you watch yeah. it on? What? What did you watch it on? Did you rent it? No. Did you did you get a did you get a, a DVD? A video? I went to a red box. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it's I don't know. It's maybe on Hulu. Maybe on maybe on Hulu. Is that Hulu? Is that is Hulu? That... What's that? Yeah, I think What's it's that? Hulu. I What's think that it's crackle. On Hulu. <laughs> it's on Hulu. Is that BritBox? Big... Yeah, it didn't have to go anywhere. Uh, well, we got this storm coming in, and last night, I mean, it was like a storm that sent off a, like civil defense alarms. Texas so, remembers. What? Texas remembers. The last extreme cold that you guys went through. Oh. Well, apparently you... some of Texas remembers. <laughs> <laughs> well, last night, so yesterday it was really warm. And then, and then uh, some precipitation came through and it made storms. It made, made storms. And then um, the wind was howling and stuff. So, so alarms went off in Allen, which is north of me. Anyway, um, the, what was the thing? So um, yeah, now it's getting really cold. So, well, oh, oh, the storm, the storm came through and our internet was screwed up. Good thing though, we got it right now. And so we're able to, able to record this sweet baby. Listen, if you're in Australia, if you're in Norway, if you're in Denmark, if you're anywhere, get in touch and we will get you a sticker. How will they get in touch? Would you shut your mouth? <laughs> Just asking, like, like you're saying, hey, hey, give me a call, Norway. Uh... They'll find a way. Okay. They'll leave, maybe they'll, you know what? They can download it on, they, they can download it and print it themselves. But I, I suppose the one way to make contact is to like, subscribe, share, give us a rating, a good rating, uh, leave a comment. Yeah. And by the way, we're working on a way where you can scan that sticker and it'll take you to our website, kind of like that. Uh... Uh, that commercial from the Super Bowl with the, the logo that just bounced around the screen. Only one that won't crash the internet. Yeah. That so, was outstanding. That was yeah. just great thinking. Morons. <laughs> I, should probably, I should probably invest money with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to go with them until I heard that. So now I'm just going to go with um, the one Matt Damon, because he says fortune favors the brave. 
by the way, I've been using that line for a long time. It's Fortuna Fawet Fortibus, which is more like fortune favors the bold. So it's like, oh, we can't say bold. We have to say I need twenty. I need twenty-five words <laughs> that are kind of that mean the same thing as bold. All right, I I've got my fifth meeting of the day coming up, so good. <laughs> Why did you say that, like like uh, Adrian Monk? I don't know. Okay. Uh-huh. Want to talk about Florida next time? I can't wait. I've got experience there, and so do you. I do. And you know who else does? Mr. Jimmy Buffet. And I resisted the temptation to download any of his music. Good. Yeah. But I listened to some classic country, and that was good. You know, when you go to Apple, like, Essentials, maybe, and... Mm -hmm. uh, when the 60s is represented by like Ring of Fire era Johnny Cash, you know, it's going to be a great playlist. Yeah. Yeah, they do a good job, that Apple Music. Honestly, Spotify has a, the better algorithm, I think. But I'm just so much happier giving my money to Apple. Yeah, Apple, Apple pays the artists at least a respectable wage. Is that true? Uh, I think it is true. I think that I, I do think that they that they do pay better per stream than Spotify does. It's called that per stream. Yeah. Doesn't that sound kind of urological? Mm, I don't know. If, or do you think it sounds more homicidaical? I think that if you like stop the song midstream, then you don't get as much money if you just go full stream. What's the line from Ghostbusters about mixing the streams? Did you ever see I'm, that? I've never seen Ghostbusters. Okay. So the one, okay, see, you want, you want to talk, you want to talk about, you want to talk Florida, but you're going to have to wait. Why don't but you I, just I, move there? You love it so much. You can't get it off your no, mind. <laughs> no, but I'm like, look, I'm totally looking at Florida, uh, at, uh, not Florida, properties on the, uh, on the Gulf Coast of Texas. Oh. Yeah. Corpus? Not saying. Come on. What, you want all the Danes and Norwegians chasing me around? As if, oh, that was, okay. We're leaving after this. One of the things PJ Rourke said, and it's been on my mind a little bit since, since uh, going to Florida, walking on the beach. At one point, he describes himself as having a body that looks like uh, it was made out of bags of gummy bears. Something like that. Yeah. Well, PJ Rourke, RIP. Thanks for tuning in to the Managing Expectations podcast. On behalf of the aide de camp, Brian Grimm, I'm Jeff Winger. Bit and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs>